Hi, this is Susanna Barton. I'm the founder of the Grand Plans online community and this podcast. And I'm so glad you're with us today. We have in the studio Heather Hausenblas, and she is going to tell us all sorts of interesting things about our health and aging um, and some of the things that we need to know about as we get older. So glad you're here. Hi, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of the Grand Plans Podcast. Today, I'm here with Heather Hausenblas, PhD. She's an international award-winning health researcher and author of the very cool Wellness Discovery newsletter. It's a bi-weekly Substack newsletter that you should definitely be subscribing to. Heather also authored the book Invisible Illness, An Insider's Guide to Eliminating Overwhelm and Rediscovering the Path to Health and Happiness with an Autoimmune Disease. Today, we're going to talk about some of the more senior-related pieces she's published uh, on her in her newsletter, including A Simple Way to Protect Against Alzheimer's and Cognitive Decline, How We Can Outwalk the Grim Reaper, and my favorite, Five Habits of Superagers. So we have a lot to cover today. Heather, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Excited yeah. to be here. Yeah, so glad you're here. Well, you, I love what you write on your in your newsletter. It's really good stuff. And it, of course, appeals to all ages. Um, any adult would be interested. But so I'm looking at it with the eye of, oh, how can this, you know, how, how can we talk about some senior issues, and I was delighted to see that there's many of them on your um, on your site. So maybe we can start about um, Alzheimer's. That was a very interesting piece that you wrote and how, um, is it omega-3 fatty acids? I don't even know what they are, but how that can help with cognitive decline. Yeah, um, it is omega-3 fatty acids. And it was an article based on some science taking a look at, at Alzheimer's and cognitive decline, which happens to all of us as we get older. Unfortunately, um, not only does our physical ability slow down, but, but so does our cognitive ability. And it's, you know, things like, you know, you're searching for words or you walk into the kitchen and you say, why did, why did I come in here? Oh, I do that all the time. Me too. And it's, sometimes it's frustrating, but it, it's a natural part of aging. But there are things that we can that we can do. And what the science is showing is actually quite fascinating is that we do have control over our cognitive decline and kind of these, you know, losses in, in memory. And it really comes down to what we're doing or not doing. And a large part of that is diet. And in particular, uh, some fascinating research has shown that omega-3 supplementation actually can help with slowing down the cognitive decline. And that can be as simple as taking a really good omega-3 supplement or eating foods that are high in omega-3s. And the one that comes to me instantly is salmon. If you have your choice of what type of salmon, I always encourage people to get wild, wild salmon, because it will be a little bit better for them. But kind of the point and what the science is showing is that we actually do have some control over our cognitive decline and our diet plays a key role. Okay, so what you're putting in your body now can affect your cognitive uh, situation later on. Exactly, so what we're eating now when we're 30, 40, 50, 60, 
70 is going to affect us, affect us long-term. And if you're eating a diet right now and you're in your 50s, that's not so healthy, that's okay. If you switch now or try to make more of an effort to eat healthier, which is oftentimes, you know, plant-based foods, you know, Mm -hmm. healthy types of... um, fats and, and meats if you if you enjoy that you know start now and try to do it as much as possible in your in your diet are you going to 100% of the time eat healthy and follow it no but try to do it as much as possible yeah well, it's a lot to think about but it's um you know no one wants to have that cognitive decline i know it it does trickle in but especially with alzheimer's that's a scary um a scary thought for a lot of us. And I know you have had some experience in your family um, with your parents. Is that right? With uh, was it with Alzheimer's? Or? Yes, with both, uh, you know, with both of our, um, both of my parents, mm-hmm. you know, they're in their, they're in their 80s, and they both have Alzheimer's. And it's been very difficult to watch people that you love and see them begin to, you know, forget, and not remember, you know, our, you know, we have three boys and Um, my dad does not remember, you know, does not remember them. So for me, I try to be as proactive as possible and say, okay, what can I do now to stop this, stop this process? Because obviously there is a genetic component to it, but what Mm -hmm. the research is saying is that our lifestyle habits are playing even stronger role. And what I mean by that is what you're eating, how much you're moving during the day, and also how well you're sleeping at night. These, those are kind of the foundations associated with with our cognitive health. Yeah, sleep. Gosh, I love me some sleep, but sometimes it's uh, hard to make it happen. Oh, it's all this good noise going down. I was thinking we were going to have lawnmowers, but it looks like planes are going to be the issue and dogs. But and dogs, but it's good. Yeah. It adds to, adds, to the background, yeah. adds to the background noise. And yes, yeah. you know, you mentioned, mentioned sleep and mm-hmm. unfortunately people tend to give that up. And what I mean by that is if they have too much to do or they're running behind schedule, they will give up sleep. Mm-hmm. Meaning they will sleep a little bit less than they less than they need to, and that is not good for our health. It is really the the foundation of our health. And I tell people if you're waking up with an alarm, that means you haven't got enough sleep. Yeah. And pretty much guaranteed that day when you wake up with your alarm, you're not going to be as active because you're just not going to have as much energy. You're probably going to be in a worse mood mm-hmm. as well, and you're just not going to be as productive. So if you can really put you know sleep at the the top of the list and try to get the right amount of sleep that you need. And everybody needs a little bit. It's different. Some people need seven hours. Some people need eight hours. But try to be consistent in when you go to bed at night and when you wake up in the morning. And I think that, and I read that somewhere, if you're waking up with an alarm that you're not getting enough sleep. But it's, you know, I'm now retired and not having to be, you know, at a certain place at a certain time, which was early when I was working at Bowles. But you know, an alarm clock was what I lived by. And I I was always being woken up by that lovely ring from my phone. So are, are, is that, is that, uh, how, how, uh, how does a normal person who's got a, a, you know, a a job, nine to five job, you know, to, to actually sleep without an alarm? It's tough. Well, I was just lecturing actually yesterday to my students on on sleep and asked them how many people, you know, woke up with an alarm in the morning and 80 to 90% of the students raised their hand and yeah. it's, it is pretty typical. And what I tell people is, you know, you, you um, 
oftentimes we'll, we'll try to fit in like exercise, let's say into the day mm-hmm. and you plan it into your day. I tell people, you know, you need to plan your exercise as well yes. or your, your sleep as well. So what's really important for people is to go to bed at about the same time every night and wake up at about the same time every morning. And I said, and that even includes weekends, which is, which is tough for people, but we do have a circadian rhythm that resets yeah. every day. And if you have to choose one, the most important thing you can do is wake up at the sign, wake up at the same time okay. every day because that resets your clock. Even if you've gone to bed late, late the night before, because it'll reset, and really make that a habit. And I tell people take a look at your environment before you go to bed, about thirty minutes before. Put your screens away. Maybe read. Make sure you're sleeping in a dark cool environment and try to set yourself up for success when you're sleeping because it really is an important habit of ours yes and sometimes if you have a spouse who has a different idea about how cold or hot it should be that is tricky but negotiable negotiable that's right and they do have now you know i i was reading on mattresses that have you know dual cooling components to it Mm -hmm. so there are things that you can you know you can do and some people say well you know my my spouse likes to stay up late and has the light on in the bedroom i said well wear an eye mask actually research has shown that the simple fact of putting on like a ten dollar eye mask which basically just blocks out all the light will actually promote better better sleep and i'm somebody who will actually use an eye mask because i need the room completely dark and even just a little bit of light even if it's coming from your you know your cell phone or from your alarm clock that can trick your brain into thinking that it's daytime and that's not a good thing. So you want to make sure that your room is really dark when you're sleeping. Yeah. So boiling it down, salmon and sleep help very good for um, barring cognitive decline. Yes. So um, let's move on to another article that I was so excited to read. And it was titled how well, how we can outwalk the Grim Reaper. I'm a walker now. I used to be a runner every morning. I would set my alarm early, early um, in the wee hours of the morning to go uh, run. Um, And now I walk and I love it much more because I can do it a little later in the morning and um, it doesn't feel as intense on my body, which I like. But let's talk about walking. What's, uh, is it a good thing? Can we out walk the Grim Reaper? Yes, we actually we can. It, it, it's an excellent point. And walking is honestly one of the best things that we can do for our health. It doesn't require a gym membership. It doesn't require expensive clothes. You just really need to put on some comfortable shoes and, and out you go. Right. And people think, oh, okay, well, I need to go and walk for, for an hour every day. And honestly, even just a couple minutes is going to have some health benefits. Okay. And if you do it with, with somebody else, um, it's even better. That social connection. Yeah. Yes. is incredible for um, for overall health. So what I encourage people to do is it doesn't necessarily matter how fast you're going, but you want to get out there and you want to be walking. And yes, you can actually outwalk the Grim Reaper. This mm-hmm. fascinating study actually took a look at walking pace uh, of individuals and then followed them over time to see who ended up passing away. And they found that people that were walking at about a moderate um intensity, which that means basically you're getting your heart rate up a little bit, but you can still talk to the person beside you and it's not uncomfortable. So a little bit faster than let's say strolling around at the mall will lead to increased longevity. 
So it's a simple activity for, for people to do. And it's one of the best things that we can do for our overall health. And I encourage people, if you can't even get out there for, you know, a couple minutes a day that will have some health benefits. Yeah. Good. Well, I, um, embarrass myself most mornings walking around our neighborhood. Sometimes I walk with Lindsay Riggs. Um, we used to run together and now we walk a little bit, but, um, I like to throw some arm movements in there, like punching and doing some other things. So, um, I have my own unique way of walking that I'm hoping will really beat the grim reaper and keep him away. I think, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. We, we forget the importance of, yes, walking is fantastic, but also we need to do what's called a little bit of resistance training mm-hmm. as well. And that could be as simple as, yes, the punches that you're mm-hmm. out there doing when you're walking or sit-ups, you know, push-ups, some lunges or a little bit of, of weights. And honestly, we should be doing that a couple times, a couple times a week for our health as well. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, I love the idea of walking. I just think it's great. I much um, in, more enjoy the walking than the running, although I miss getting up super early, I just being out about super early. I don't wait. I don't miss getting up early, but I do like being out there when the sun comes up. Um, all right. So moving on to the final point of our conversation, which I think will be one of the most robust topics that we discussed today, and that's the five habits of super agers. What is a superager and what do they have going on? So superagers are a group of group of individuals in their 80s and beyond that are honestly extremely healthy and biologically are you know look like they're decades younger. So they're behaving like they're in their, you know, 50s, 50s and 60s. And we call these individuals superagers and we're interested in what makes somebody a superager because as we become more of an age population, we want to understand this and it's really quite fascinating what the research shows is there's these five general characteristics that are associated with superagers and some of these may may surprise some of the the listeners some may not obviously what comes out is a is a healthy diet eating you know your your a lot of your fruits and fruits and vegetables exercise also comes up so being physically active and going mm-hmm. out for your walks and also social connections and this sometimes surprises people but if i can state if there's one thing that is probably one of the most important things for our health that is being socially connected. Yes. And research has shown that people who are socially are, will state that they're, they feel lonely or don't have um, close family or, or friends that they can rely on. From a health standpoint, it's about the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day to kind of wow. put it in perspective, huh. what it, what it does. And there's been fascinating studies showing, um, that when you follow people all the time, what, predicts whether somebody will live a long and happy life. The number one thing that comes out is their social connections, mm-hmm. having those close family and friends that they can rely on. So I encourage people to spend time fostering, fostering them and spending time with people. Does this mean that you need to spend all your waking hours with other people? No, but it's important to have high quality social relationships and to and to foster those is very very important for our health another one that came out in the study about what makes somebody a superager is, is related to our personality now this might surprise people but people who are extroverted and also have a positive a positive outlook on on life mm-hmm. um, are also characteristics of superagers so extroverts are people like 
you know, that tend to be more outgoing. Mm-hmm. They um, tend to be a little bit more, more talkative and they tend to have people or tend to be people who display a lot of energy. So it's not that you need to be the life of the party <laughs> or the one, you know, necessarily talking all the time, but you have that outlook of positivity and energy and, and getting involved. So the point to this is, is our outlook in life and being optimistic is really important for, for overall health. So I encourage people to, to take a look at your, the thoughts that you have during the day, maybe try to look on the, the bright side of things and not get too worked up over, over stuff and try to have that positive outlook. Cause it really does influence how long you live and how happy you're going to live. Yeah, that's amazing. And I was, and getting back to the community part of it, I would think, you know, someone who's extroverted and positive is going to have an easier time than being part of a community um, situation and not unlike a church, you know, you you might find your community in church or at um, a restaurant you frequent all the time. I mean, it's, um, community can come from lots of places. It doesn't necessarily have to be your friends or your family. It could be a place that you're a part of all the time. Exactly. You know, maybe you belong to a group. Maybe there's some, maybe you go to like a a coffee shop, you Mm -hmm. know, every, every day and you know, you know, the barista. And it's interesting that yes, our close um, connections are really, really important, but also our casual ones play an important role. Mm-hmm. And that is like the, you know, could be the, the coffee shop barista who's handing you your, your, your coffee. If you just smile at the person and, and say hello, or have some type of casual conversation with them, that will actually change your day and put you, put you in a better mood. Or if you, for example, you're out walking the dog and you pass a stranger, the simple fact of looking them in the eye and saying hello will have a positive effect on your overall health. So yes, we are, our close connections are really important, but also our casual ones play a key role as well. Mm -hmm. And I would think that the people, those casual relationships that are every day, you know, weekly, whatever, that someone is noticing you and noticing when they don't see you. So if they don't see you for a few days, there may be concern and someone may be able to look in on you or help you or just know that, well, maybe something's not quite right, which can be a problem for older adults who are living by themselves. Agreed. And it's important to have, you know, those connections mm-hmm. and people who know your routine and are yeah. checking, you know, and checking in on you is so vital for our health. Yeah. Um, let's see. What were the other? Oh, yeah. Oh, the healthy diet and you're physically active. Yeah. You hit them all. All five. Well, I mean, is there hope for an introvert in this as a super ager? Can you can you go into your senior stroll thinking, oh, I'm not a really a people person, or I don't like to put myself out there? It's a good point. So, if you are an introvert, and, and you know, not everybody is an extrovert, and not everybody is an introvert. Most of us fall somewhere along the along the continuum. But mm-hmm. the point is to to kind of make that effort to get yourself to get yourself out there. And introverts tend to be a little quieter and keep more to themselves, but it's not necessarily that they don't like to be, you know, don't like to be in group settings. So if you're uh, more of an introvert, don't feel that you're doomed and don't have a chance of becoming a super ager because it's not just one thing. It's those five things that I mentioned kind of coupled all together, but we can always make, make efforts and try to get yourself, you know, out there and do things and be as active as possible. 
Is there a trend of super agers now? I know a lot of people are living longer just because the, um, you know, the, the medical resources are better. Um, our living arrangements are better. We are more aware of our health and what we're putting in our bodies. Um, and is, and does that subsequently create pressure or a, a, a problem for society when, you know, if more people are living to 90 and 100 and that's more the the norm versus I think probably in our parents' generation or our grandparents for sure, 70 was, you know, a rough number. But um, I don't know. Like it's – I just wonder if – if the the superager trend is more of a a social and cultural shift it is a shift and what we we see now here in the united states the average person is is living to about um to about 80 years mm-hmm. you know uh and what's happening is yet yeah, uh, people who are living longer is becoming a fast growing demographic. But I think what's important is not only our, our lifespan, which is how long we live, but also our health span. Right. And they don't match up, unfortunately. So what I mean by that is the average person, let's say, is living to around 80 years of age, but their health span tends to be around 65. So that's kind of the, the, where the, their health begins to deteriorate significantly. So the ideal situation is that we want our, our lifespan to match our health span. Mm-hmm. And what we see with these super agers is that's really what's happening with them. So if we can take a look at kind of their five key characteristics of super agers, and we're aware of that, then in our own life, then we can try to make a conscious effort to, to do those types of things, knowing hopefully that it's going to increase our health span. Yeah, right. And there's just, you know, it's, it opens up the the spectrum of life when you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to be living into my 80s and 90s even, and, you know, and to, to, to be aware of your health and, and how you're living certainly makes an impact, I would think. So thank you so much for coming today and sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom and your expert uh, guidance on all of these issues. And I hope you'll come back one of these days and tell us some more. And if anyone is looking for something very interesting to read twice a week, um, please sign up for uh, Heather's newsletter. It is awesome and I just love getting it. It's called Wellness Discovery. And if you Google, go on the Google machine and type in Wellness Discovery and Heather Hausenblast and Substack, you will come across the link. So um, anyway, thank you so much for all you do. Thank you. This was really fun. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. Thank you for being with us today on episode seven of season two of Grand Plans. You can find this episode and all of the others we've recorded on mygrandplans.com, also on our YouTube channel, and through Buzzsprout, which is a direct link for some of these uh, podcasts. So thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time.